I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There is no better group of plants for flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. We're going down under on this week's podcast, speaking to John Stanley in Australia. John is a retail guru and has extensive background in garden centres all over the world, including Russia. We'll be dipping into his vast knowledge of the industry and taking a taste of a specialist beer. My thanks to Westland Horticulture, sponsors of this podcast... And, of course, to my producer, Charlie Jones. The weather's been remarkably warm for February. I mean, the crocus full out, great sheets of them down our street, and the daffs are sort of coming up like rockets. I worry a bit because the uh, bloom is showing colour on both uh, my apricot tree And the early plum. I mean, that happened last year, and then in March we had snow. And it was actually sort of two-inch layer of snow on some of the fully opened plum blooms, and of course it just burnt them off. It is worth having a tube of horticultural fleece, because you can slip that over at least some of the branches if uh, this early push of sap continues and that will give a degree or two's frost protection. Those tubes of either fleece or enviromesh are useful for another purpose too, because once the fruit has uh, set, oh, and that reminds me, if you are doing frost protection with a sleeve of fleece pulled over the branch, you need to take it off in the daytime so that uh, what insects there are can do a bit of pollination. But once the fruit has set then we need to protect for a new pest, the fruit fly. And you can get the best control on a whole series of stone fruits by, again, pulling that tube of mesh or fleece over the branch with the leaves and everything enclosed, and that will just keep the pest out. So if you're getting little tiny maggots in any of those stone fruits, there's one of the simple methods to gain control. Things continue to change pretty rapidly. I mean, the Wyvale Garden Centre story continues. Six more of their centres were sold, we were told, very recently. The British Garden Centres, based up in the northeast, have bought five sites. They've bought Bold Heath, Cargate, Wakefield, Leyland, Coventry and Bolton. And, and a sixth centre has been bought by the Rock Mills Group, a property management company, um, have bought the Wyvale at Woburn Sands. So uh, the original chain is now down to 100 centres, 
and we watch with interest to see what happens. Actually, in the same world, the Hillview Group of six freehold garden centres are also up for sale. £12.9 million they're asking for that lot. And and Smart Garden, a wholesale distributor into the garden centre industry, uh, has recently bought Briars. That's the garden gloves and the boot company. So, goodness, things do keep changing. I had an email through this week from the Rose Society UK telling me I needed to renew my membership, actually. But it's a very good value, £10 a year. And and you get very good newsletters online. In the January newsletter, they were suggesting that we put container-grown roses into polytunnels for flowers in the spring show at Mulvern. It's quite an easy thing to do. If you've got one or two roses in pots or containers and you do just uh, slip them into a cold greenhouse or a polytunnel at this time of the year, then you will get some flowers, middle of May, perfectly clean. Of course, they're not affected by weather. And the colour is just a touch paler. It's a very nice thing to do. Some varieties respond much better than others. I mean, the old one, Madame Butterfly, she used to be... uh, grown commercially in the Lee Valley. Uh, That's a bush which flowers very well under a bit of uh, protection. In that newsletter, I see one of the members is writing about using Jay's Fluid, 70 mils in 5 litres, for disease and weed control, especially black spot disease. I mean, that's no longer recommended. You can only use uh, Jay's Fluid for cleaning, so I don't know whether you are just cleaning up the rose bed and at the same time knocking out pests and diseases. I was also interested too in names. David Kenny, writing in the Rose Society UK newsletter, reminds us that the Tanto Rose Bloody Mary didn't sell until they renamed it Freedom. Now a most widely grown cut flower in Colombia and Ecuador apparently. So there we are. Just a change of name can completely uh, affect the number of roses grown and their popularity. Now, when it comes to the actual garden, if you've got uh, some autumn-sown sweet peas or lettuce, anything else under cold glass, I'm thinking of um, cold frames, cloches, and even cold greenhouses, you may see that there's a bit of green algae growth. Uh, It's very common at this time of the year on damp, fertile soil, But if you just lightly hoe through, just stir the soil up, let the air air in, and it soon dries, and you'll find that green just disappears very quickly. Early cultivars of a potato are worth chitting, that is, setting them up to sprout in cool, light and frost-free places. I've set some up on uh, recycled eggs box trays on a cool windowsill and I'm just looking to see those little dark green shoots. Once you've got that growth, if you pot them up and, of course, protect them if the new growth comes through when there's still some frost about, you will get the earliest tubers and certainly worth chitting on a windowsill before you pot. The seed leaves are already through on one or two pots I've sown of cucumber and you know I told you about uh, sowing in the pot just half full of compost and then when the seedling comes up uh, and the leaves just spread over the top of the pot you can earth them up, you know, just fill the pot up 
and then that seedling stem produces more roots from the stem and you get a much shorter, compact plant as a result. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My guest this week, rather a long way from uh, London, is John Stanley. Uh, He's the international consultant on garden centres. If I want to know what's happening on other garden centres around the world, well then, John's the man. John, how are things in Perth, Australia, and how did you first start in this horticultural industry? Hi there, Peter. Yes, I'm uh, in fact three hours south of Perth, and of course we're in the middle of summer. And uh, so we're having weather up into the high 30s, 40 degree days. So this is a time of year when gardening goes to bed because it's actually too warm to be in the garden. So we put the garden to bed. Don't do too much of that. You know, the winds, (laughs) it's a lovely bright blue sky here and the snowdrops are out, but the wind's a bit fresh. (laughs) (laughs) But you probably can tell better from the accent that I'm a Birmingham boy originally. Yes, very much Um, so. I started my garden career in the city of Birmingham and went to college at Pershaw College in Worcestershire and then Riffle College in Essex. Uh, to become qualified, and then went back working for a few nurseries around the Evesham area, and eventually became a lecturer in horticulture at Mary's Wood College in Guildford. Oh, I didn't. And know I was that. there for about eight or nine years. Goodness. And then I had a, a Nuffield scholarship to uh, look at horticultural marketing in America. So I spent three months on a greyhound boss, which is something everybody should do once in their lives. And um, from that, I always remember it was a client or a potential client in America um, invited me back. So I started my business way back in the 70s as an independent garden center consultant and uh, moved to Australia in 1986 and now work with horticulturalists in 35 countries around the world. You you must know better than anyone, and certainly you opened my eyes when you spoke uh, at the Garden Centre Conference here in January. How do you see things generally? Uh, um, And can you make comparisons? I mean, is America ahead of us? Um, Where are the trailblazers in the garden centre and the garden retail business? Oh, that's always a challenging question, Peter. 
Um, well, the changes we've seen, first of all, is I remember when it was nurserymen, growers, using mail order. We've actually come full cycle because mail order is now online. So the online uh, garden market, to me, it was like the mail order garden market. So we've gone from mail order to um, traditional garden centers that just focused on gardening and plants. And if we look at the British garden center scene, they've become more like department stores in the country. And um, plants are only a part of that sector. And I'm a great believer that plants should be the most important part of the retail sector. So I have some concerns when I see the way we're branching out in the industry. Um, America, I don't think, is ahead at present. Um, I think we're seeing some excellent uh, garden centres appear in the Czech Republic. And I'm very impressed with what's happening in the Czech Republic because they are still putting plants at the centre of the industry and making plants exciting. And for me, that's the important issue. Well, I, I agree entirely with, with you. You know, plants are my focus. And I think when garden centres take their eye off that ball, then then they're in all kinds of danger. But we do, yeah. we do um, lack... Um, the skilled staff that we need to give advice on plant centres here in Britain, I feel. I think there's a global problem and agriculture, and I'm biased, but I think agricultural colleges um, seem to be, there seem to be less of them around and there seem to be fewer students going around. And my concern now is Mr. Google has become the plant expert. And so many consumers now are relying on Mr. Google rather than the plant expert in the garden centre. So I think that is one of the big changes that we're seeing is that the internet has become, or is becoming, the expert rather than the person. And, it, and it's not entirely reliable, is it, John? You know, no, no. You know, I use it, obviously, quite a lot, no. um, but my hair stands up when uh, I see some of the recommendations of advice online. I agree completely, but... You know, whether we like it or not, online is often the expert because it's online. That is a, that is a concern, I think. When we were uh, chatting briefly, you mentioned Russia. Are, are, you, mm. are you really working there too? Yeah, I'm, I'm working in Russia. I've been working in Russia now for about four years. I go twice a year. And the Russian industry, I enjoy. It's an industry that was probably like the British garden centre industry 20 years ago. Um, they're learning quickly. They're producing some excellent garden centres. Um, their garden centres are better than their wholesale nurseries, uh, but they've got a progressive garden centre industry. And gardening in season is a big industry. And, of course, in winter, it's um, you know, under a lot of snow, but they get um, a very busy spring and summer and the interesting thing, Peter, is some of my garden centre clients are open 24 hours a day. Why? <laughs> because customers go at 2 o'clock in the morning. So that was my question. Why are you open? And they were saying to me, oh, the very rich like to come in the middle of the night because there's no one around and they spend big time. Oh, right. Generally speaking, you know, when I've travelled a bit in Europe, you see that new businesses are most successful where they have somebody from the nation 
present and actively involved. So when you go to somewhere like Russia, what sort of uh, respect do you get, you know, being, well, I don't know whether you see yourself as an Australian now or as a Brit, uh, you know, how are you received? They, they really enjoy um, outsiders coming in. And I think the first thing to remember with Russia is that, first of all, they need to trust you. Once they trust you, they are very, very friendly and very respectful of um, you as the expert from overseas. And uh, when you first go into the country, uh, the trust is an important issue, but that's probably true of many countries. Um, and the funny thing is, it depends where I am, because I've, I've got dual citizenship. In Russia, they, they look on me as an Australian. Of course, when I'm working in New Zealand, they look on me as being a Brit. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd need that, yes. <laughs> I made that mistake once, suggesting somebody's accent was Australian when they were New Zealand. I mean, yeah, yeah. a fate worse than death. And how do you get your um, introductions then? I mean, the... the Russian one fascinates me. You know, I see it as oh, a yeah. cunt, country with a difficult language and a quite different way well, of life. I actually, uh, well, you know, a lot of my work um, obviously is working with an interpreter when I'm doing uh, consultancy and conferences. And um, I was doing an Italian conference a few years ago and the, the president of the association was in the room, the Russian president, and... Uh, came up to me and said, have you been to Russia and would you like to speak at our national conference? And uh, you know, the answer was I hadn't been to Russia. And uh, I talked at their national conference. It's an interesting industry because flowers are very big. So yes, they've got shrubs, um, the normal range of plants, but the consumer buys a lot of flowers, whether that's cut roses um, or Anything in flower, it's very much a flower market. So a seasonal market, but a flower-based market. John, where, where are most of the, the flowers sorted from? Ah, oh, um, Europe, Holland, Denmark, Germany. I mean, what sort of a home? lot comes from uh, Western, well, the Western part of Europe. Uh, the Russian industry has a few growers, but the Russians enjoy buying from um, Western Europe. A lot of Dutch product there. And now a lot of product coming in from South America and Africa. And, and in that case, does it go direct or in, in the way that many of us here trade with the Dutch being the brokers? Yeah, it's very similar to where the Dutch bring product into, um, into, into the UK. Uh, the same system going into Russia. And I think something as a side issue is that the Dutch are looking at Russia as a growth opportunity because of their concerns about what's happening in the UK at present. So they're beginning to look at Russia as a, a growth opportunity in case the market is disrupted in uh, the UK over the next few months. Well, that's something we all wonder about. I have a sneaking feeling that life will just grind on as normal. I can't see the Dutch giving up. Uh, in supplying us, they've always been unbelievably good salespeople. But having mentioned sales, when you were speaking here in Britain, you were forecasting the day of the salesman as uh, dead in retailing because yes. um, our whole approach to spare time is, is changing. I think um, the whole market, not only in the, in the horticultural industry, I think it's the whole market in, uh, let's say, retailing is changing that we've got three types of retail environments. 
Some customers just want to buy on price. Some customers want to buy through convenience, hence the growth of online. But retailing will carry on. But I use the word daymaker. The customer wants to go into a garden center that provides an experience and a salesperson that's not selling to them in their view, but is making their day. So the knowledge and the stories and the attitude of the salesperson are critically important moving forward. And, you know, I'm often critical of the fact that so many plants people often don't communicate the stories associated with plants. People always buy stories. Well, as I walk around my garden, pretty well every plant I look at has a story behind it. You know, the person who gave it to me, why I'm growing it. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's what sort of makes yeah. the job so much more interesting. Yeah, we need to be storytellers. You've settled in uh, Western Australia. If I remember correctly, you said that you now have an orchard with sweet chestnuts. Is that right? That's right. Five years ago, we bought a sweet chestnut orchard, a thousand trees in the in the orchard. And Australians don't understand sweet, sweet chestnuts. So we brought a, an orchard and um, a crop that Australians didn't understand. So we couldn't, it's very difficult for us to just sell the nut. The first thing we had to buy was a peeling machine. <laughs> so we, as a farm, I think we're the only farm in Australia that has a commercial peeling machine and we peel the nut because most Australians um, didn't know how to roast a chestnut, so we introduced peeled roasted chestnuts. As a result of that, we um, produce chestnut flour, um, chestnut puree, uh, chestnut cream, a whole range of chestnut products. Uh, the small chestnuts that everybody else leaves on the ground to rot, we feed to Berkshire pigs and sell chestnut-fed pork, but our premium product is we went into partnership with the Blackwood Distillery, which is a um, brewing company a few kilometres away from us, and we produce chestnut ale. <laughs> Come on, um, you're pulling my leg. What? No, no. I discovered chestnut ale when I was touring Corsica and said to my wife, Linda, we've got to produce chestnut ale. So uh, in 2017, we um, started a partnership where we bottle... Uh, chestnut ale. The nearest I can describe is that it is like a nutty Kilkenny. It's a dark beer. But our ego trip is that in the year that we launched, we entered it into the um, the World Championships for, for beers. And I believe there were beers from 35 countries. Uh, over 2,000 beers entered, and we got the gold me gold medal for the best boutique ale in the world. Fantastic. Wow. And uh, that's, that's been the ego trip as far as the business has been concerned with chestnuts. So this year will probably be the first year where we don't sell chestnuts in the shell. All our chestnuts will be used in added value. That's a remarkable story. I mean, will we be able to get your... Blackwood Ale here in in Britain? Well, that's the plan. We've been talking to a distributor, in fact, last week, uh, who's interested in our ale and our chestnut flour, and I'd love to get the ale into the UK market. Uh, it's a, what I call a boutique ale. It's, um, yeah, it's the top end in price, 
But uh, it's got to be for the best ale in the world, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I would think so, John. For go, for gold medal ale, hey? Yeah, uh, yeah. And don't we look to Australia for what is it, the golden nectar or something? Well, you'll have to yes, call this the nut brown, ne- yep. the nut brown yep. nectar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John, it's been great speaking to you. Hope we can catch up with you again sometime in the future. I thank you very Thanks much for your time and all you're doing. Good to talk to you, Peter. My thought for the day comes from a tweet. Lucy Chamberlain (laughs) passed it on, and it was a quote. If I woke up in the morning and nothing hurt, I'd think I was dead. (laughs) My thanks to Westland Horticulture sponsors of this podcast and thanks to you for listening enjoy your garden we'll be back next thursday discover more at sungardening.co.uk hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.